those of you listening to us on the internet and to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be, and to our members and guests gathered here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God upon which we base our message this morning is the second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You heard it read before, chapter 4. I recall just these words. So I tell you and encourage you in the Lord's name not to live any longer like other people in the world. Imitate God, since you are the children he loves. Live in love as Christ also loved us. He gave his life for us as an offering and sacrifice, a soothing aroma to God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who truly was the sweet-smelling aroma of God's sacrifice for our sins, my beloved. Boy, in this day of uh, 2015, not a whole lot of people ever use the word epistle, much less know what it is. To give you a little hint... Uh, it's not a Facebook posting, it's not an email, it's not a blog, it's not a text message or a tweet. Actually, an epistle is a lengthy letter that is written by hand, and it's a letter usually that con- contains matters of great substance and importance. Notice how, um, since there's a lack of understanding what an epistle is, we don't even refer to the second reading as the epistle anymore. We just talk about it as being the second reading. An epistle, a long letter. In fact, I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, you hear a word, uh, you hear a little talk uh, in the schools that maybe there will be a day coming where we won't kit- teach kids how to write cursively anymore. Because, you know, we got computers and handheld devices and everything else. You know, why do you need to to write cursively anymore? And I always wonder, well, what's going to happen when they ever ask you to sign your name? Then I guess you'll print it. The words before us this morning are from St. Paul's epistle, written to a congregation in the city of Ephesus about A.D. 60, or about 30 years after Jesus' ascension into heaven. Now, uh, to put it in its proper context, uh, St. Paul was a mission pastor. And he was sent out by one of the Christian churches uh, up in northern Palestine and on a special mission to go out west into Turkey and eventually into Greece. My very first call from the seminary, I was a mission pastor. That means that there was just a little congregation that started and they were looking for a pastor. And thanks be to God at that time, way back so many years I won't even tell you, uh, we had a synod that supported me and paid my salary and the rent of uh, wherever we went for church or housing. Without that, I would have had to get a part-time job and then you couldn't be a full-time pastor. Well, Paul could be a full-time pastor even though he kept a part-time job as a tent maker and went into Turkey and into Greece, starting new Christian congregations. Now, his methodology was that after a congregation uh, looks like it was going to establish itself, then he left. 
and uh, went to another city. And then that congregation would call a full-time pastor. One of the congregations that St. Paul started was in the Greek city of Ephesus. That used to be Greece. Now it's on the uh, western um, coast, you might say, of Turkey. And he stayed there for three years. And he grew to love the members of that church, and they grew to love him so that after three years when he had to leave, they shed tears with each other. Well, five years after that, St. Paul found himself in prison in Rome for being accused of treason. Of course, that was not true. He was Really what he was uh, doing was preaching the message of Jesus Christ, but persecution was the name of the day. And while he was waiting for his trial in prison, he wrote this letter, this long epistle, back to his beloved congregation in Ephesus. Now, to understand the true content and context of these words of St. Paul, at this time there were no problems in that congregation. There were no divisions. There was no false doctrine, as there had been in some other congregations that he had to write to. So he was not scolding them. You might say St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a letter of preventive maintenance to strengthen and to encourage them. It's sort of like a father who uh, drops off his 18-year-old son at some university in California and then drives all the way uh, uh, back to his home in Maine. And uh, after about a week's time, he handwrites a letter to his son saying, you know, I, I know you're going to see a whole lot of sinful things there at the university. Don't take part in them. Remember what I taught you at home. Living in that major seaport town of uh, Greece, Ephesus, Paul knew that the members of that congregation were going to be tempted by promiscuity and greed in that metro area. Because illicit sex among the Greeks was as, uh, about as casual as uh, going for a haircut or going out for lunch. And all the shady business deals that were carried on in their port city by hustlers who were trying to make a buck, he didn't want them to participate in that. He said, don't be like that. Don't revert back to the days before you were members of of the uh, family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But again, please remember, he was not scolding them. There were no current problems in that congregation. He was encouraging them and strengthening them. And what he does with his words is he creates a whole list of things to avoid. And then he creates a a list of things to pursue. Now remember, he's talking to people in a Christian congregation. He's not talking to the people out there in the world. He's talking to the members of the congregation about things they should avoid. It's almost like uh, St. Paul is saying... This could happen, it shouldn't happen, it has happened, don't let it happen to you. Guard yourself against it. Now before I go any further this morning, I should say that every once in a while I hear words from people who are not members of Christian congregations who say, you know, I would never get involved with organized religion. Uh, I see what's going on in some of those Christian churches There's a whole lot of sin going on there, you know. 
And sometimes I'd actually like to reply out loud and say, yeah, so what's new? There's a lot of sin in the church. Why do you think that is? Because out there in the world with all the unbelievers, the devil's got all those people under his control. And so what does he do? He just does time and a half inside the church to try to get his Christian, the Christian people back to be unbelievers. You might say, where two or three are gathered together, there the devil is in the midst of them. Whenever two or three Christian sinners get together, there's potential for problems. Why is that? Because as redeemed children of God, we remain saints and sinners at the same time. And St. Paul is encouraging us to work on that saintliness part of ourselves and to push down and drown the old Adam. Again, by giving us this list, St. Paul is telling us what shouldn't happen, what could happen, what has happened, and to guard against it. One of the items on his list is this, get rid of lies. Any lies in the Christian church? Absolutely. I can tell you about members of the Lutheran church who actually left their church because lies were told about them. I can talk to you about Lutheran Christians who lost some of their position in the church because lies were told about them by their fellow members. This ought not to be. Guard against it, St. Paul says. Speak the truth to each other because we are all members of one body. St. Paul goes on and he says, um, Be angry without sinning. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil any opportunity to work. Don't say anything that would hurt another person. Get rid of your bitterness, hot tempers, anger, loud quarreling. Any anger or tempers that have ever flared in the church? The story was told me about one Lutheran pastor who was sitting in a church council meeting and there was so much heated anger and arguing going on that finally he stood up and he said, whenever you're finished through arguing... Uh, I hope that you would have the decency to please close the meeting with the Lord's Prayer. And he walked out. Unfortunately, there have been some synod conventions told me by other pastors where if you would have walked in off the street, you wouldn't have known if it was a Christian organization there. Thanks be to God, today we don't let that stand any longer. And if there are ever antagonistic words spoken against a fellow member, then they're asked to apologize and be reconciled. St. Paul goes on to say, thieves must quit stealing and instead they must work hard. Any uh, thievery in the church? Or you better believe it. Pilfering, embezzlement. There was one congregation I uh, right here in the city of Milwaukee, not Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So somebody embezzled a total of $93,000. It hurt the church. That's why Christian churches even have audits and not just to catch mistakes. St. Paul says, don't be like the unbelievers, promiscuous. Any pro- uh, promiscuity in the church? You better believe it. Take, take a look at what's happening in some of the Christian churches in the area regarding molestation and payouts and cover-up. If you take a look at the history of our own Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, it had a sordid beginning. 
the pastors that actually founded the synod were involved in, in adultery. We don't like to talk about this story. These things ought not to be, St. Paul says. Well, he tells us some things that we're not supposed to do. What does he tell us to do? Speak the truth, work hard, exercise kindness and sympathy, and be forgiving. I absolutely believe in my years in the ministry that the absolute hardest thing, if not almost an impossibility, if it were not by the grace of God, is for a congregational member to forgive another member in the congregation who has wronged them. Once read an article called When You Need to Forgive and Don't Know How. Maybe you heard me mention these words from the pulpit before. It says, We do our forgiving alone inside our hearts and minds. The first person to benefit from forgiving is the one who does it. Forgiving, forgiving happens in three stages. When we rediscover the humanity of the person who wronged us, when we surrender our right to get even, and when we wish that person well. And that doesn't happen overnight, but it only happens by the grace of God. And it has nothing to do whether or not the person who wronged you is repentant or asks for your forgiveness. Adam and Eve didn't ask for God's forgiveness in the Garden of Eden. And how many times don't we? But he forgives us through the blood of Jesus Christ anyway on the cross. He dies for his enemies. You see, imitating God in our lives is hard. And the only way that we have any chance in succeeding is by taking a a look at the love that God has had for us. St. John says this in his first letter, Dear friends, we must love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born from God and knows God. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Dear friends, if this is the way God loved us, we must also love one another. We love because God first loved us. But as I mentioned as we began, the devil is always working overtime in the Christian church because he wants some unbelievers for himself. Two very wise statements I heard from two theologians down through the years. The first one goes like this. The closer you get to the center of the church, the worse it stinks. But the other one is redeeming so you don't get cynical or pessimistic. A theologian said, you know, the Christian church is a lot like Noah's Ark. It smells like heck on the inside, but it saves people. Churches, denominations, Christian congregations are not perfect. But we do have a perfect message. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. St. Paul is asking us this morning to remember who we are and why we are here. We are redeemed children of God. And we are to proclaim the message of all, with all of our might that Jesus came to redeem sinners, to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And I would close with this brief prayer. 
Lord, because all me- we are all members one of another, help us make our church, our congregation, be a place of truth and kindness and forgiveness and purity and honor. Lord, let our church be that way. And, O oh Lord, let it all begin with me. God granted for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. <coughs> we confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried (coughs) into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We take this time now to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards. <clears throat>